Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, innovation and customer experience across governments off to a good start. I think as we get more of those underway and they have some, you know, time on the clock to see how it's kind of panned out, um, hopefully that that becomes more widespread across government. Keeping up with the Joneses in government IT acquisition. The marketplace is going to move without you. Uh, And that's one of the big things that DOD is trying to accomplish right now, and everyone should be thinking about it. How do we move with the marketplace? And the BYOD challenge to building out zero trust. Make sure that the device is authorized on your network um, to connect back to your corporate resources. And so um, that's one of the things that you look at when you're implementing zero trust into your environment. It's Monday, June 6th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Department of Veterans Affairs is missing key metrics in its rollout of its electronic health record system, according to the VA Office of Inspector General. The IG office says those gaps could hurt the ability of the facility using the system to provide care to veterans. The OIG office lists vendor performance, a lack of certain data from the agency, and training issues as reasons for the problems. The follow-on organization to the Cyberspace Solarium Commission says a revamp of federal cyber hiring authorities should include collaboration between the Office of the National Cyber Director and the Office of Personnel Management. The new CSC 2.0 writes the two organizations should work together to train human capital people in cyber specialties. The group says NCD and OPM should also modernize coding structures for cyber jobs. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The 13th year of Fed Talks launches August 24th. High-level leaders in government, industry, and academia will offer lightning talks, keynotes, and fireside chats. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more and register in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Federal Chief Information Officer says a key element in providing better customer experience is, quote, meeting people where they are. Claire Martirana says doing that will help build back citizen trust in government. Amanda Emick is Senior Director of Business Development at Publicis Sapient. She's former Director of Web Communications at the Department of Agriculture. At the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference from ACT-IAC, she says customer experience work inside an agency doesn't just belong to the CX team. You don't have to be a quote-unquote CX person, and I think, in fact, CX is overused much in the Mm -hmm. way we appended 2.0 to all the things at a certain moment. The same can be said for me, it's just about how do you think about the problem when you understand what it is you're trying to solve, the technology is the easy part, right? And it's just, it's a mind shift that is really exciting to see. Um, so yes, it's gratifying, but also there's there's so much more work to be done. And I'm I'm glad that folks are having the more challenging conversations and thinking about the policies the need to shift, the budget allocations, the new partnerships and collaborations within the government and also with industry, of course. Um, it's, it's cool to see how that's evolving over time and we're just getting more used cases and success stories along the way. What I think is really good is nobody's talking about where CX should live. I'm using air quotes. It's becoming, I think pretty quickly, 
an ingrained part of whatever it is the service is that needs mm-hmm. to be delivered, whether it's an internal customer or an external customer. It's just mm-hmm. part of the thing instead of becoming its own thing. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair observation, do you think? It is, though certainly in government there needs to be, I always say, you know, who's the person in the chair, mm-hmm. right? There, there needs to be that so yeah. that there's, there's accountability to the programs and that folks are just keeping track of it, right? Um, there was a, a speaker from the state of Maryland in the last session who said, um, you know, government doesn't really like to say that they've messed up, right? Um, Duh. Thank, <laughs> thanks for that news flash. Right. But it's <laughs> the interesting thing about that is in regards to where CX lives or does not, there needs to be a person who can actually give air cover to programs who are trying to innovate, try something new, or be answerable. You know, you need to understand where to go because one of the things that uh, I was always passionate about is not duplicating efforts, right? At USDA, 27 agencies and offices, we had all these different websites. We started the conversations back then about having an enterprise shared platform because it just didn't make sense to have all of these separate systems, the people hours, right? All of the things that you need to keep those engines going. Um, they've rolled that out recently. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took some time, but you have to to know how to pull the resources or um, you know to connect the dots within an organization rather than having a lot of people doing the same things. You need the groundswell, but you also need someone to help corral the effort so yeah. that it can be prioritized, properly resourced. Since some of these foundational things are in place now, mm-hmm. What are the next things that need to happen, either government-wide or in particular organizations, to really fulfill the spirit of, for example, the CX executive order and the customer experience pillar of the president's management Mm -hmm. agenda and so on? Mm -hmm. I see the trickiest, the hardest piece of the puzzle to really solve is around the policies and the procurement and also budgeting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you think about how um, how agencies are funded, that does become an issue of where CX lives, if you will, because the way that budgeting works, if you don't spend, you don't get allocated. And so there's, it, it takes a real partnership and some vulnerable conversations, you know, within these uh, government buildings about, you know, who, who leads the program, where is it funded, how are we awarding, and to really educate the procurement folks and contract offices about what this really means. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, I get a lot of sideways glances when I say this, but technology isn't always the answer, right? There are low-tech, no-tech solutions for these that oftentimes it's get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. How, how do we need to be serving communities for whatever task or mission? figure that out and maybe it's not a tech solution so the policy piece the budgeting piece Mm -hmm. i think to the degree that you've explained them make perfect sense Mm -hmm. the procurement thing is harder Mm. maybe it's because the concept of customer experience doesn't lend itself well to we need this thing to implement it well Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah the the measurement is often a challenge Mm -hmm. often you're thinking about measuring behavior change or it's it's proof in the the absence right right. 
there are survey instruments that you know you can argue about you know the effectiveness of those um in a lot of cases that's all agencies have you know they they put the survey on the site and and that's it you know we don't even need to touch the paperwork reduction act as being a part Let's one not. one of the things to address but that's really central to it how how do you equip programs with the insights of the real humans that you're trying to serve when you're not allowed to talk to them or you know there's fast track authorities and there are certain mechanisms in place to make it easier but it still isn't frictionless Mm -hmm. and so doing that and then thinking about the procurement is it's a huge issue i mean i've respond to solicitations today that use language that is not at all current to the challenges at hand Mm -hmm. and so you have to think (laughs) was this just copied from something else and you know i don't say that to you know diminish the great work that these folks are doing there's a lot going on but i think you know to really promote actiac is is really a good place where you can have those conversations Mm -hmm. i i remember one of the um I think most fulfilling conversations in the partners program that I did in 2019 was between folks in contract um, kind of offices or they had some sort of role in that life cycle. And we got into this robust discussion about um, requests for information, right? Market research. There was truly that lack of understanding. And until we were sitting across the table from each other to say, listen, like, when you drop it on a Tuesday and say it's due on a Friday and you know there's all of these things, that's real effort for us. We want to help. We want to have the conversations, but let's think about are there different forums? And there's some, you know, great innovations happening in pockets. You look at, you know, DHS, the 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 pill. Um, they're doing great work and you're starting to see some of the smaller, like the broad agency announcements or reverse pitch type ideas. So there's there are things that are happening. And so I think as we get more of those underway and they have some, you know, time on the clock to see how it's kind of panned out, hopefully that that becomes more widespread across government. One of the things that I have tried to always ask people when they you mentioned the pill, Soraya came on the television show and I'm still mm-hmm. doing that, talked about that. One of the things I try to always ask those people with these new ideas, real innovation mm-hmm. is how replicable is this in yeah. some other organization? And I wonder if government is has humbled itself enough yet, or maybe I don't know. Maybe humble is not the right word, mm-hmm. but to just rip somebody else off. Like these are really good yeah. ideas, and there's nothing shameful about just saying we're just going to do exactly the same mm-hmm. thing and see if it works for us. I, but I don't get a sense that that happens very often. Oh, I. I frequently encourage you know stealing and repurposing of things that we were doing and likewise there's some really good communities um like the digital gov have the communities of interest um similar to act iax and so you're starting to see that um but it really comes down to culture Mm. too what works in a dhs context how they operate what they're procuring for whom they are procuring it is very different than you know treasury or transportation any of those um and i think the one thing i wish there was more of throughout all of the procurements and this work is the organizational change management yeah right i mean there's 
you really have to put in the effort to think about what it means for the humans who are showing up every day and doing the work when you start to introduce a new approach, a new tool, a new whatever. Um, and sometimes because of a lot of reasons, you know, budget, um, skills, right, just general capacity of everything going on, that's not, that's not included in the work. And when you think about the successful adoption of these and the longevity, um, like the real lasting impact, that's where a lot of change can be made with a little bit more upfront investment. Amanda Emick, former director of web communications at USDA. You can read more about customer experience in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. A long list of CIOs and CTOs across government are coming to the UiPath Together Summit. You'll learn about automation from leaders in government and industry. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City, June 14th. You can find a link to learn more and register in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The General Services Administration and the Defense Innovation Unit will work together to speed up the introduction of new capabilities through non-traditional contractors. The agreement will get technology DIU's prototype successfully onto GSA schedules faster. Tim Cook is president and CEO of ASI Government. He's former senior economist with the Center for Naval Analyses. At the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference, he's calling for a change engine to speed up the acquisition process all across government. Not a, a, like a, an old-fashioned moving pictures uh, movie, not a snapshot in time. If we keep creating snapshots in time, it's not going to work uh, because the change is not going to stop. Mm. It's going to accelerate. So acquisition, in order to support mission, it's going to have to work with all those other back office functions uh, to create that sort of uh, change environment that's adaptable, flexible. I wish I had a better word. Uh, well, we use those words plenty in this space so everybody knows what they mean. That's the good <laughs> part of it, Tim. Um, you wrote uh, not long ago, what problem does the government need industry to help solve. That's the starting point. And I think everybody agrees that that's the definition of the start when government goes to industry. And then you wrote underneath that a problem statement with objectives and constraints. Now, people have been pushing and I think making some progress finally in that idea of problem statements as opposed to the traditional mm -hmm process, especially in DOD. That it's, seems to be working much better there than in the civilian side. But, and, uh, and objectives, I've heard that before. What do you mean by constraints? Because I think that's an interesting word to put in that mix. Yeah, so it's, it's absolutely true. There are, every organization lives with its own set of constraints. And a lot of them are homegrown, but a lot of them are, are imposed. Uh, by things like regulations and the FAR and, and all of the, the, the compliance-oriented things that they must do. So those, those are constraints. They're organizational in nature. Uh, some of them are budget-related. Some of them are soft, like you can change them. Some of them are hard, inflexible constraints. And they, they are the ones most challenging because what you ultimately need to do with a hard constraint or one you perceive as a hard constraint is you need to morph it into a soft one, mm -hmm. okay? Or, or it can really get in your way of mission outcome, which is the ultimate goal of these problem statements. Mm -hmm. So how do I get my mission outcome uh, when I need it? 
uh, in the context of all those constraints. Is there a role for industry to respond to something like that by saying here are some other constraints that may exist that you hadn't thought of? Yeah, so it's a great point because in my business, uh, we have tried to, to uh, consult with the government uh, b- behind uh, the scenes, advising, uh, consulting with acquisition people to say that um, uh, this hard, soft constraint idea, we can learn from industry. Let's ask industry, what are, what are the things you see industry as cost drivers or as uh, obstacles uh, to your building a creative solution? And oh, please don't give me a PWS because you've already got the answer if you give me a PWS. Yeah. The stuff you're talking about is mindset changes. The stu- you're not talking about tactical stuff. You're talking about strategic things, Tim. Uh, and I'll give you an example. It's 2022. There are any number of acquisition vehicles, some of the big ones, mm-hmm. that are having issues with, frankly, getting out the door mm-hmm. or getting through protests and things like that. How do we get to a point where there will be opportunities to drive that change engine that you're talking about, to build it into mm. some of these things that, are, when they come out, are going to sit there for 10 years. Mm. Like this, Some of these things will last for a long time mm. in a technology environment mm. that's changing, will, will change a thousand times mm-hmm. between now and the expiration of that contract. Yeah, so it's, it's encouraging to me that government is building on-ramps, things that allow for change to happen on those long-term contracts. Uh, the on-ramp, uh, definition could be expanded to include uh, alternative. I mean, this is where I, I, I am not the compliance expert, so I don't know if how much leeway there is to turn those hard contractual constraints into things that can be malleable, you know, so that over a 10 year period, uh, you can adjust the vehicle to the marketplace because the marketplace is going to move without you. Uh, and that's one of the big things that DOD is trying to accomplish right now, and everyone should be thinking about it. How do we move with the marketplace? You know, when you think of cloud providers, they have a way of going to market, and you have to match their way of going to market or you're not going to be there. Are we getting better at those on-ramps? Are they working the way that they're intended to? Because we have seen many times in government where people have great ideas and everybody agrees they look like they're going to work and they don't work. Yeah. I'm not an expert on that. Uh, I have tried to get on some on-ramps uh, unsuccessfully. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, in the, in the mid-tier, which is where my business is, you know, I've not been successful yet in mm-hmm. getting onto either a small or a large on-ramp yeah. just because of the way they're constructed. Uh, it, it, it's a barbell, right? If you're, if you're not small, if you're small, you've got your own criteria. Yeah. If you're large, you have your own criteria. If you're in the middle somewhere, you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't easily make myself into a large or a small. <laughs> so I'll, then I'll ask you from a thought leadership perspective and not from an ASI government perspective, yeah. what would make that process work better for the broader community mm. and primarily for the government to mm. get the outcomes and have access to the technology that it needs to succeed? You know, I can't believe we didn't rehearse this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, we didn't. <laughs> It just seems to work out. Uh, the, the answer, in my opinion, the answer is for the government to explicitly recognize uh, a graduated ecosystem of uh, supply base so that companies can grow uh, and are, are 
aided in growing and knowing that there's a path for them to get from small to large. Uh, that doesn't exist very much today. In fact, once you get graduate from that small category, chances are you're going to fall back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the most common outcome. Yeah, because companies wither on the vine and, yeah. and don't have the benefit of that small business so, structure support. Is that so? Is that but the so let's build the let's build the industrial base in a rational way. Yeah. That's that's my opinion, mm-hmm. right? So that there is a gradation from small smallest all the way to large. Um, you pointed out a couple of success stories that you have seen or worked with or whatever in government recently, uh, the pilot IRS and mm-hmm. a couple others. Are there common themes among the success stories that you're seeing uh, across government, Tim? Yeah, so they've built the change engines Yeah, uh, on a, a sort of micro scale. So is there a change engine template or d- is it dependent on the each individual situation and application. So here's the template that I'm aware of, okay? okay? There are clauses, parts of the FAR, that promote commercial buying uh, with the discretion of the contracting officer. Uh, FAR parts 12 and 13, uh, and please don't ask me to quote the phrases. Uh, uh, I'm actually glad that you can't. <laughs> I think more of you as a friend that you can't quote the FAR. Uh, so that's what IRS used, Pilot IRS. Um, you know, they, they sent some of their brightest people to this program called DITAP, Digital IT Acquisition Pro- Professional. Uh, and one of their um, products at the end was to create this adaptable change engine of a contract uh, BPA uh, and really it was outcome or as you said before it's, it's outcome oriented so we have three outcomes we want you to get okay we want to cut the labor we want to uh, get it fast uh, and we, and we want to I forgot what the last one is but there were three objectives right um, and that's all there was mm-hmm. they didn't specify a solution a type of family anything just get us those three get us those three outcomes yeah is that Harrison Smith leading that? At so IRS? it used to be Harrison. Yeah, he's moved on now to uh, a digitalization. Oh, that's right. Enter- enterprise. Yeah, but that sounds like the kind of thing he was pushing when he was the the uh, deputy acquisition lead. There. Totally is. And Marcy Almeida was the contracting officer who mm-hmm. did that. Uh, a stroke of genius, and other people have sort of imitated it already. Yeah, and lots of people are talking about it. Tim Cook of ASI Government. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The connection between identity management and cyber will be in focus at the OctaGov Identity Summit 2022. Government and industry leaders will be at the conference at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City, June 23rd. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 26 federal agencies are getting commercial-grade endpoint detection and response tools, according to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. CISA's Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity, Eric Goldstein, says more agencies will be able to access the tools soon, too. Donna Bennett is the Chief Information Security Officer at the State Department. She tells my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash in building out its zero-trust infrastructure, data and security go hand-in-hand. And that is why it's one of the most the data officer is one of the most closest partners um, 
that cybersecurity has. We have a chief data officer, um, and the question is so timely. The department recently released its first ever enterprise data strategy, which we built around treating data as a strategic asset to shape diplomacy and support our workforce. Um, the department is taking a targeted approach to implementing the data strategy and focusing on key priorities as strategic uh, competition and diversity, uh, equality, inclusion, and accessibility with our data. Um, and all that dovetails into uh, the adoption of, of zero trust. This aligns with the requirements of the president's recent executive order on improving cybersecurity and adaptation of zero trust architecture. Um, we are planning to deliver zero trust architecture in a multifaceted approach. Um, the department itself is really honing in on the various assets that we currently have. We are a geographically dispersed organization. So, you know, we have assets all over the globe. Um, and, you know, and really looking at who's on the network, what they're doing on the network, what access they have to, to the data um, is, is really our goal as we look to implement zero trust. Absolutely. Well, thank you for laying that out. Uh, next, I'm curious, so thinking about how zero trust and endpoint security intersect, uh, how has uh, endpoint security evolved around users, uh, their own devices, uh, you know, bring your own device idea, and then government furnished equipment uh, over the last 12 to 20 months uh, to coincide with the zero trust practices? And maybe if you would, uh, how are you seeking to better secure data under these dual types of end user security models? Yeah, the executive order emphasizes implementation of zero trust, which assumes a compromise, which requires consistent verification and prevention of compromise and limited uh, lateral movement. Um, the implementation of zero trust provides an optimized data management, simplified security architecture, consistent policies, and improve authentication and authorization across the enterprise. Um, the department is prioritizing um, its modernization efforts to ensure secure access and protected protection of sensitive information. This includes and provides uh, MFA, um, identification authorization, and additional ways for users to access um, the department's network. Um, and as you know that, you know, when you have BYOD, on the network um, and any any federal agency that has it or any corporate agency that has it where you have reached back into your environment, um, you, you have to make sure that you, uh, one, make sure that that device is authorized on your network um, to connect back to your corporate resources. And so um, that's one of the things that you look at when you're implementing zero trust into your environment. And then um, lastly, Donna, um the supply chain attack involving solar winds that compromise government and commercial IT networks really highlighted the ability for hackers to compromise certificates or root of trust between products and, um, and they then move undetected across an enterprise. So I'd like to ask, what advice would you offer to organizations to protect their data from, you know, the idea of a parent trusted user in this case? And, are, are you using behavior analytics and policies in new ways uh, or enough to defend against these advanced so-called insider threats? Yes, insider threat is a significant challenge for all organizations. And so you definitely have to use behavioral analytics, um, but you have to dovetail it with a number of different types of, of policies, 
um, and procedures internal to your network. And one of the main tenets of zero trust is that, um, you know, you assume that your network is compromised. And so that means that every single aspect, every connection, every person gets vetted that's on your network. Um, and so this requires role development, testing, uh, and tuning, and insider threat detection strategies um, and you have to have a number of details in your playbook in order to make sure that this is successful. Um, I know that with, you know, solar wind, it was more of, you know, the supply chain um, from that aspect. But I think if we look at the life cycle development within the environment, uh, we could definitely, you know, ensure that at every single step that there is some vetting that's associated um, with with any type of product or any type of connection that's in your environment. Donna Bennett, the Chief Information Security Officer at the State Department with my FedScoop colleague Wyatt Cash. You can read more about security at State in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast is back Tuesday afternoon. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.